Welcome to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We talk about the intersection of parenting and technology. Everything you need to know about raising kids in the digital age. This is Parenting Bites. Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I'm here in the studio today with Amy Oztan, Amy Rafter. Hello. <laughs> um, Andrea has the week off. So we have a special call-in um, guest today. And she is Elizabeth Denkowski from the Dream School Project. We are starting our first in what will be a series of podcasts about getting into college. Thank goodness, because I really haven't done anything, and my <laughs> oldest is a junior. So right, we're really doing this, this to help Amy. <laughs> the totally self-indulgent thing. Um, but I have two sophomores. Amy has a junior, and we are surrounded by college questions and thoughts and kids and everything so we thought you know what we've we've got this show and we know other people are going through the same thing or will be shortly or have gone through it and might even have thoughts of their own let's start a series getting the smartest people we know talking about this process and just take the mystery out of it a little bit and de-stress a little bit maybe like help um because it shouldn't be this crazy insane process that it's become so we are really excited to have Elizabeth on. And then after that, we will have our Bites of the Week. So we'll be right back with Elizabeth. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. So we are here with Elizabeth Dankoski on the phone of the Dream School Project. And Elizabeth, we are so excited to have you on. Great. So glad to be here. Um, you know, I have to say, I found you. I'm obviously doing my own research because I have two sophomores, um, and college. The college conversation starts earlier and earlier, it seems. Um, yeah. And I started doing research online for you know just looking at college counselors, looking at options. And when I came upon the Dream School Project, I was so drawn to the message of it, which was not how I'm going to get you a perfect score. How I'm going to get you a 4.0, you know, what you need to do for this. And so it was about finding what your kid is passionate about yeah. and why that's important and how that ends up speaking to college admissions people. So can you dive into how you started this and a little bit about your background? And, sure, you know, Absolutely. So I started off when I was at Wellesley College, I was a writing tutor there, and I was one of the lead writing tutors. And the um, department one day got a call from a little eight-year-old kid who was doing high school-level math, and they wanted somebody to come and work with him to level out his um, language art skills. So I started working with him, and we had so much fun. And then from there, their neighbors and friends started calling. And by the time I graduated from college, I had this full roster of students. I was um, teaching them SAT prep and writing, and then from there, I started doing my master's in creative nonfiction writing, so I started helping students do their college applications and their essays, and, and I was having so much fun, and kids would come and say, oh, I just got into Harvard and MIT and all these things, and I, I wasn't really paying attention to it at the beginning because I just thought, um, you know, well, uh, this is great, I'm having fun, but I wasn't really tracking it. But then I started to realize, wait a minute, these kids are getting amazing results. So about six years ago, I had this huge roster of kids that were all applying to the top schools, all of them, 10 to 12 Ivy League schools. And um, 
and I and they all were extraordinary. They had you know top grade, top test scores, high level extracurriculars, captains of their sports and academic teams, awards, and everything everyone said that they needed. So I was so excited for the results to come out that spring. I thought, okay, we're just going to get a slew of acceptance letters. This is going to be perfect. Well, what ended up happening was that most of the kids got waitlisted at their very top choice schools. Everyone got into a really good school, one of the top 40, but most of the kids got waitlisted, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. There were uh, several kids who got into their very top choice schools, and I couldn't at first tell the difference between the kids who had gotten waitlisted and those who had actually gotten in. So I started to look at this really carefully. And I realized that it was the kids who had created something of their own, something that really distinguished them from everybody else that they hadn't just plugged into for school and that they had then written about. That Those were the kids that were really getting in. And so one of the things I had noticed while I was working with this huge number of students was the incredible levels of stress. I mean, they would come to their sessions shaking and couldn't look me in the eye and they were terrified they weren't gonna get into a good enough school. And so I started to look at this. I thought, you know, this is such a stressful process. We're telling kids they can get five or six hours of sleep a night. And then, you know, and they're getting all the the right grades and doing the right extracurriculars. And then we're telling them that it's not enough. So I, I was looking at the levels of stress and the results. And I thought, this doesn't even make sense. I can't even continue to support doing this. Why don't I create a whole new way? And I realized it took me a couple of years to kind of really figure out what I should do. But I realized, oh, I know what we need. We need an army of mentors across this nation to show students how to discover what lights them up and what kind of impact they want to make on their communities. And so that's what I started doing. That's what I started to create with the Dream School Project is this whole idea of helping students create a project that showcases their unique interests and serves their communities in some meaningful way. And the results have been really incredible to see what students have created and then how they've really stood out so far and above beyond grades and test scores. So So that's how I created it. I think that's so great because we do have the stress problem with kids. You have kids Mm -hmm. feeling disconnected um, especially the social media generation. There's a lot of talk about kids feeling lonely or kids not going out, yeah. <laughs> kids, you know, all this stuff. Um, so it's sort of tackling two problems, right? One is helping kids actually find what they're interested in genuinely um, yeah. and then figuring out how to act on that in a way that's meaningful to them. And I think what I'm particularly interested in, and I know one of the big questions we got on Facebook is, what if my kid is not a great student? And my kids' mm-hmm. scores are, you know, what, what 20 years ago would have been fine, but now are considered yeah. like, oh, my God. Um, how yeah. c- can something like this really help a kid, you know, who's just this isn't school's not their thing? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I have a student who went through my program. It was the first round of the program three years ago. She had severe dyslexia. She had C's and D's on her transcript, she ended up having a 900 on her SAT, which for those of you following will probably know that's extremely low. And she ended up discovering what really lit her up, and she went and she just ran with it. And she's now in a social entrepreneurship program uh, in college. She's a first-year student in college, and she ended up getting into the University of Miami with these really low grades and test scores. And 
part of it, so much of it, was because she was relentless about talking about what she had to, to give. She said, look, I know my grades and test scores are so much lower than your average student, but do you want someone with perfect grades and test scores, or do you want someone who's actually going to do something? She went on and created a nonprofit, and she pitched it to Wharton, and they chose her out of the you know, one of the, she was the only teenager out of 72 companies to pitch, and they decided to work with her because she was so passionate. And the point isn't the nonprofit, because some kids never do nonprofits. That's not the point. The, the point is that she got so excited and she's so like, charging ahead despite her really bad grades and test scores. And she was someone who was told she had a 50% chance of graduating high school. So she went from someone who's kind of like, I don't even know if I can make it, to and not feeling you know really like she was fitting in because she was struggling so much academically. But when she discovered, she started looking around and asking, well, what kind of problems do I see in my community? How can I contribute? And she discovered something that was really meaningful to her. Then she just started thriving. And she, she just went on to make the case, look, do you want the grades and test scores or do you want me who's making a difference? So that's what I always say to students is that it's not really about the grades and test scores. Now, if you're trying to go to Harvard or Stanford or whatever, you have to have a certain level of grades and test scores. It's true. But Beyond that, you know, it really is about who, what do you have to contribute and what, what's lighting you up, and that's what makes the difference. And then, then what we see is that students open their own doors rather than waiting for a college to open doors for them. So from what you just said, it sounds like kids who have found their passion might have a leg up in this process. What if you're a kid who doesn't know what they want to do? Like, how can, how yeah. can they figure out how to apply and how to show that passion when they haven't specifically found their thing? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I actually don't talk about passion very much because it's kind of overwhelming to kids. I mean, it's not like in school that people are saying, what's your passion and let's get passionate. You know, just sit down and do what you're told, right? So um, what I talk about is, and I just did a TEDx talk on this back in October, where I, what I recommend to students is to ask two questions. One is, what lights me up? Which could just start with like, what am I curious about? What's the thing that kind of sort of pulls my attention. What would I get up early on a Saturday morning for? I'm just starting to understand what is interesting to me because passion is not something that you suddenly just wake up to and realize, oh, this is the thing I'm going to do. Passion comes from doing. And passion comes from the process of discovery, of following these different trails that might look like they're not leading anywhere, but that's the only way in which you will discover what is interesting to you. So first, by asking that question, what lights me up? And it might just start with, well, this thing is sort of interesting to me. And then the second question, what kind of impact do I want to make on my community or what problems do I want to solve? And when students start to bridge that, uh, those two things, what lights me up or what's interesting to me with what kinds of problems do I want to solve in my school community and my family, in some online community, then that's where the that's where the juice starts to, to really happen because students are, are following what's interesting to me. And there's no one right way to answer that. It's just, well, what do you find interesting? Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, Amy's son is a musician, right? So I think sometimes mm-hmm. when you have a creative kid, um, yeah. a theater kid, 
a musician or maybe a super athlete, you know, whatever it is, it feels mm-hmm. like, well, that's their thing. Like they have yeah. a thing. Right. But then, of right. course, they're competing with all these other kids in that same area who that's their thing. Um, right. <laughs> right? Exactly. So so how you know, I, I wonder that sometimes with kids, especially in the arts, um, you know, I mm-hmm. feel like no one's more passionate than kids in the arts. And mm-hmm. how do you then distinguish yourself in that in that area, too? It's a great question. And there's no, again, I don't have like one answer, but Mm -hmm. I've been talking about this a lot with my team. And also I'm working on bringing my nonprofit arm into the public schools. So we get this program into the public schools because everybody needs this. And really what this is about is teaching kids about social impact. So even if kids are artists or musicians, that they're understanding that the way in which you create art or, or get your your work out into the world is by understanding how to communicate what you're doing and and seeing the way in which you can bring your art in a, in an even more creative way. So there's already so much creativity in in the art world or you know in the music world, right? But kids are not being taught to think about how they can actually impact other people with their art. And that's essentially what this is about, is, is thinking about what, how can I show up in an even more creative way to use my gifts and my skills and my interests to make either my school community more cohesive or my you know, arts community more cohesive or to use my art in some way to bring awareness to a cause that I'm passionate about or interested in. So uh, for me, it always comes down to well, what do you notice around you? What are the needs? And how can you use what you're already interested in doing and invested in to to bring a higher level of creativity to solve some of those problems or address the challenges or demands around you? It's just a beginning answer. It's not. No, sure. <laughs> but it, not the full answer. But it yeah. is really interesting because I do think um, our kids are so busy, right? They're so scheduled. They mm-hmm. do so many things. Mm-hmm. But that community piece is often yeah. not something, particularly if you don't belong to a church or a synagogue or something right. that has those organized things. I know for my daughters, it's been very hard to find service opportunities um, mm-hmm. as teenagers, right? A lot of people don't yeah. even want you there if you're a teen um, or they want you to undergo some rigorous orientation yeah. or something that yeah. doesn't fit into their schedules. Right. So that is interesting, that idea of looking at sort of the gift you already have or the interest you already have and saying, well, maybe I can just figure out how that fits into something that is already happening in my community or, or that I'm interested in or. Yeah, exactly. We had, I had a student a couple of years ago who was really interested in, in mathematics and philosophy and he wanted to become a mathematics professor and he was very busy. He, was, he came to me halfway through junior year and he didn't have time to create a whole new project. So I just said to him, well, what's happening with what you're already doing in the mathematics world? And he was on his math team so I asked him about, well, what's happening with your team? And and he said, well, it's not very unified. I mean, there's just these three distinct groups, and there's some of us who compete all the time, and then there's the other kids who just kind of show up once a week, but they don't really feel part of the team. And, and actually, I think our lectures are kind of boring. We just kind of do these workshops. I want to create a whole new thing for our team. I said, great, go for it. So that was sort of his, quote, project, was just to, to bring more to his team. And he ended up being chosen as the captain because, you know, he was standing out, but was less about being captain than it was about just how he showed up to contribute in a different way. He would kind of, in the back of his mind, was noticing that some changes could be made, but he didn't realize, oh, I could actually implement them. 
And so when when he went to apply to colleges, he ended up getting into um, Carnegie Mellon. That was his top choice school. And his, he had a 3.4 GPA. The average GPA, I think, is like 3.8 or something. Hmm. Um, so it was this story around the kind of creativity and awareness that he was bringing, you know, kind of acting on this awareness that he was bringing that helped him stand out. And so that's what I always want to say to students. Don't feel like you have to go create this huge service project that's separate from the stuff you're already doing. Just bring a higher level of creativity and awareness and innovation to what you're already doing. See, see the kind of impact you have the ability to make already in the, the situations you're already showing up to all the time. Yeah, that makes such, so much sense. And it's so much easier for a kid, right? It sounds so much less intimidating. Yeah, <laughs> Just exactly. See exactly. It. Yeah. So I'm going to turn to, we got so many responses on Facebook mm. when we told people we were having a guest on who okay. had incredible <laughs> expertise. Um, so one of the questions that came up again and again was weighing a quote unquote name school where you will graduate in debt versus getting a lot of money and maybe a quote-unquote lesser regarded school um, mm-hmm. and how how much is that name important how much is that name yeah. you know we had people ask about going to school in Canada going to school in Europe mm. which has become hugely popular but like are you putting yourself at a disadvantage because of your connections of the job market back in the U.S. if you're going abroad um, right. the alumni right. network is is any of that true <laughs> you know what what is yeah, your opinion well, on that it's it's a it's a there's a complex response to it in other words there's no one right answer mm-hmm. but what i would say is that the research shows that it's way less important where you do your undergraduate than where you do your graduate degree there's no question that when you go to a you know a name brand school that you're plugging into a powerful uh, alumni network there's no question about that but in terms of job, um, you know, opportunities post-college, it, it's really the graduate degree that it has more weight. And there's, there's been quite a bit of research done on that. But what I would say is a couple of things. If, there's so many ways in which you have to decide what is the ideal school. And financing is a huge piece of that. There's no question. But to make, bring awareness to the idea of scholarships. I mean, for example, Bain, the student I just talked about who had dyslexia, she funded her entire first year of a private university through scholarships. She literally hasn't paid any money to do it. So it, it's, a, it's a big undertaking. I'm not going to say it's simple to get um, uh, these kinds of scholarships, but they're out there and most people don't really know about them. So that would be something I would say, look into that so that you have as many options as you want. Finally, what I would say about college is that the most important thing is that students go into college understanding what they want to get out of the experience. So many students just move from high school to college almost like it's just the automatic next thing. But they're not thinking, okay, what am I creating from this experience? What am I getting out of it? And that's a way, when you when you go in knowing what you want to create through that experience, it's it gives you a very different sense of, well, what do I want that experience to look like? What am I really trying to accomplish from this? So I think it's, it, for me, it's less about the name and much more about the experiences. I mean, what is the classroom like? Is it, am I sitting in a lot of lecture-based classes? Do I want that or do I want more hands-on project-based learning? You know, what, what is important to me? And that's what I help, you know, students think through is, is what do they want that experience to look like? Not just 
what's the right name, but what is the right experience as a whole? Right. We had another question, too, about, which I think a lot of people are dealing with now, the deferral process. Mm-hmm. And in your experience, if you've been deferred from your early action or ED choice, what what helps a student get accepted in that second round? Well, you know what I've done with my students? Some students have come to me after they've been deferred, and then I always take a look at their essays because I want to see how the, how they've communicated themselves. Often, students have not really communicated their true value to, um, you know, to to the colleges, and their essays may be beautifully written, like what happened with me several years ago. There was a student who had this beautifully written essay, but it was basically a poetic version of his resume. So I could already, it didn't tell me anything new. So what I did for him was help him find a new story that really expressed personally what he was going to bring to the college. And I had him send it to the school in the form of a letter, just saying I didn't fully articulate, you know, what I wanted to express about myself. I wanted to share this with you. And then he also sent it to his regular decision schools um, uh, when it was, you know, time to send those applications out. And he ended up getting into his deferred school, which was Cornell, and as well as to MIT. And he's, in fact, now interning at NASA through MIT. So. Um, this is an example of how communicating the essays are so important. They are such a critical piece of the application process. So, you know, for kids who are deferred, at at this point it's a little late in the process to to write a whole new essay. Usually you want to get on that immediately after you get deferred in December. Um, But what I would do is at, at the very least send a letter and update them on what you've accomplished, what you've created. And this is why I always say to my students, my seniors, Look, you've got, you're going to work on your project and on developing yourself all the way through till the end of that admissions process because you can't just submit your applications and then wait because what if you get deferred, right, you're, or waitlisted? You're going to want to come back and say, this is what I've been creating this whole time because most people just sit and wait and then they have senioritis and they are bored. Right. <laughs> but. But when kids think ahead, like, okay, I, I, I'm going to assume that I'm going to get deferred or waitlisted. Therefore, I want to keep propelling myself forward so that I have something substantial. It's not just the usual updates of, like, well, I did a little better in my history course and I retook the SAT or whatever, you know. It's, it's something more substantial. This is what I've created. This is what I've been working on. Right. Um, so not just, like, you won some award at something, update them. Yeah, which is fine. You know, you can say that, too. But... But this is why you're thinking about your project all the way through is what kind of substantial, you know, especially once you've submitted your essays and you're done with that crazy process, you have way more time to be able to devote yourself to building whatever project you're working on to a higher level through those last several months of your senior year. And then you can also let let them know that you weren't just working on the project to get into a school. Right. (laughs) You you actually wanted to complete it. But because it's meaningful and it matters to you. Yeah, we had um, so we also had this really complicated question. So maybe you can help Mm. us out, because when I read it, I was like, I don't know what this person's talking about. I've never heard of this. Um, But she said it's really complicated, but out of state high school graduation um, requirements that some colleges have requirements that are different than maybe what your state's high school did. So she was saying, you know, oh. South Carolina and some state schools require a fine arts, but Pennsylvania, where she lives, don't require arts at all. 
And so now her yeah. kid's graduating without a fine arts class, but realizing that means he can't apply to certain colleges. Mm. And sort of how do you know this and how is this handled? And Yeah, it's, it, it is very complex. And I would say there isn't one answer, but what I would do is, first of all, call the school. Typically, like a lot of times people ask these questions around APs, for example, mm-hmm. like many schools, that's not necessarily a requirement, it's, but it's an expectation. But if your school doesn't even offer APs, then it doesn't automatically eliminate you from applying. When, when you're looking at the schools and they say, these are the things that we require, Oftentimes, those are, they're not always requirements. Like maybe the fine arts piece, like, you know, the student could take a course in the summer and fulfill the requirement that way. Or they would just say, well, your school didn't offer it, so it's okay because you have these other things instead. But I wouldn't automatically assume that just because your school doesn't offer what the school is listing as a requirement doesn't mean you can't apply. I would, first of all, call them and say, my school doesn't offer this. What should I do? Um, is there a way to work around this? And they'll usually they'll say, that's fine, don't worry about it. Or, well, if you get accepted, you could always take that over the summer and fulfill that requirement ahead of time, something like that. That's interesting. Okay, so one last question. <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. put you on the spot. If you had sort of one piece of advice for parents and kids, just the, the biggest obstacle or problem you see when people start this college process, what would be that, yeah. that big tip? You know, what I see so often with my kids is that they they really believe that top grades, top test scores, all the, quote, right extracurriculars is what they are supposed to do. And, and really this whole focus on perfection ends up backfiring because the truth is that students, you know, let's just say a student studies, at, you know, puts in the, the right amount of studying and, and can get a 1500 on the SAT, for example. And then, but, but to get between a 1500 and 1600 would require the same amount of time, you know, as going from, say, a 13 to a 1500. I'm just making it up, but an example of that. Then what ends up happening is the student is, is pouring himself or herself into trying to get perfect grades when what they really should be doing is taking that time and devoting it and pouring it into this project that's really going to set them apart. Because perfection will never set the student apart. Because if you imagine all these piles of applications they have and everyone looks very similar, right? It's the people not with the perfect grades and test scores who distinguish themselves, but the people who have strong grades and strong test scores but they've got this extra piece that no one else has that's unique to them, that's really the key to this. I think that might be the quote from the show. Perfection will never (laughs) set the student apart. That's excellent. Yeah, Yeah, that is so great. Elizabeth, thank you so much. This was incredible. I loved it. Uh, I have a feeling this is going to be our like most listened to podcast yeah. in the last three years. It's just my from pleasure. The and you know, response. if people have more questions, I'm happy to hop on the Facebook page and answer whatever I can. Oh, that'd be great. And we will put links, we'll put links to your site and all the, you know, your TED talk and all of that um, on our Facebook right. page and on the Parenting Bites website. Um, so everyone can find you and contact you. And definitely if we get start getting those questions coming in on Facebook, we're going to forward them to you. And yes, it would be great to start do. that I'm dialogue. That would be amazing. And on, on my website, dreamschoolproject.com, you'll see that I have a free college readiness assessment quiz that will just help you see where you and your child is at in the process and get a feel for, okay, I've got this piece covered, but this is the piece I might want to focus on more 
for example. So that could be really helpful for people. Yes, especially if you have a 10 year old, it's going to be like, yeah. relax. <laughs> exactly. You're good. You got it. <laughs> well, thank you so much Great. again. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. So we are back with our bites of the week. Amy? Okay, so if Andrea and I had done bites last week, this would have been it. Um, <laughs> our entire show last week was bites, so we didn't bother. Um, but oh, I see. So I'm not here, and you guys just yeah, we just slack. Get off. lazy and <laughs> totally. It's like 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 we had a sub. Um, no, because the entire show was like recommendations for home stuff from CES. So we were like, we don't need to do bites. Um, but last weekend, like two weekends ago. I binged the new Queer Eye on Netflix. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Um, if you were a fan of the old one, you're going to love the new one. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy was this awesome show where five fabulous gay guys would remake straight men so that they could just live their better life. <laughs> and the new one is just called Queer Eye, not Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, because um, I think they're not limiting it two straight guys no. that they're remaking and in fact episode four I'm not going to give anything away I will just say make sure you're hydrated have an extra <laughs> box of tissues nearby um, it's just great they the first season and please I need everyone to go to Netflix and watch it so that there's a second season I don't know <laughs> if it's been picked up but the first it's season a lot of press, so. oh good yeah um, the first season was all in and around Atlanta which created some interesting dynamics, keeping it all in the South and a lot of it in the very rural South. Because, wow. yeah, like, I mean, it, there was a guy with a MAGA hat in his closet. There was a lot of talk about racial stuff and about, you know, people who had never met gay men before all of a sudden being surrounded this is how by you change five the world. of them. Yes, it, it, it really, really is. Because, you know, I... I the transformations that the men go through, it's not just physical and it's not just their environments, although, oh, my God, how changing your environment can change your life. Yes. Um, but the transformations that they go through in some cases, just about what they think about the about other people is incredible. So from like 17 different points, the show is fantastic. So check it out. It's on Netflix. There are eight episodes. Please, God, let there be more because <laughs> it's really great. And the funnest part is the new guys have been tweeting with the old guys oh to like God. get advice. It, it's, it's great. That's awesome. All right. Well, I have two. The first one um, is not just my bite, but is actually a recommendation from... Um, Another blogger, Kim Moldovsky. Oh, we love her. the Maker Mom. Friend of the show, yes. right? She's been on the show. Yes. Yeah. And um, she, in that giant thread we had on Facebook, where everyone has been asking their college questions, recommended this book that everyone recommends that is like the best book called Where You Go Is Not Who You'll Be, hmm. An Antidote to the College Admissions Mania, written by Frank Bruni. He has been on a soapbox about this for years. Um, so has Malcolm Gladwell. Mm -hmm. Malcolm Gladwell especially hates every Ivy League school with a passion. <laughs> um, but it is about dispelling all these myths about needing that name on your resume, that this name, name, name thing is what college is about. And it's amazing. It's great. Pick it up. Read it. Have your kid read it, which is probably even more important. Um, and then try to live it because I think the reading it and then the like being 
yeah, like, yes, that's that's going to be me. I'm not going to care. <laughs> Start two different things, <laughs> particularly if you're a kid. My second thing is something. So my husband snores. Mine too. makes me crazy. Um, and he has acid reflux, which I think contributes to the snoring. Like hmm. he gets really bad heartburn at night. Um, so he bought <laughs> this... It's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. It's called the MedCline Advanced Positioning Wedge. It's basically a pillow, but it's on an incline. Hmm. So you lay your upper body on it. So maybe it comes down to like the bottom of your ribs. Mm -hmm. That's the incline part. And then the top part keeps your head upright. Um, Not upright totally, but higher than the Mm -hmm. rest of you. So what it does is... If you have acid reflux, keeps the acid from coming up mm-hmm. at night, but also helps your airways because it's keeping – if you have like a post-nasal drip that's causing this, oh. it helps that not happen. Um, it is gigantic, so you'll never be able to make your bed <laughs> nice again. It's atrocious. Um, but And then you put your regular pillow on top too. Like it has like a whole – it's complicated. It looks bizarre. It If you have an HSA like healthcare account, you can actually – Write it off, yeah. Um, It's life-changing. He snores, still snored a little yesterday, but he's sick. But usually, he does not snore anymore. Hmm. It has changed. He's like, it's not very comfortable. I'm like, too bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's more comfortable than wearing like a CPAC machine or whatever those health things are. CPAP, is that what it is? So I was like, I think CPAC is that convention for conservatives. (laughs) That's a different kind of machine. (laughs) Um, So yeah, rather than having some big breathing thing on you, because I also thought he had sleep apnea, because then like he'd wake me because I was he was snoring, and then I'd be up, but then I'd be listening to him breathe, and he definitely Mm. would like stop breathing. So it's changed all of that it's amazing it's not cheap but totally worth it um Hmm. it's cheaper than a divorce (laughs) about that interesting (laughs) um so yeah the medcline advanced positioning wedge we'll put a link to it definitely and you can return it if it doesn't work they have like either a 60 day money back guarantee he actually originally got the medium one and then got the smaller one realized he didn't need something so big um and they no problem took it right back shipped it right back in this nice. giant box um so i highly recommend it check it out try it <laughs> let me know if it works for you or your spouse and that is our show for today so thanks amy thank you you and me we will have links to everything we talked about today on facebook.com slash parenting bites and on parentingbites.com. and elizabeth graciously offered to answer facebook questions so once this, this goes live we will yeah, we'll set something up on our page yeah, on Parenting where people can ask her questions within reason, people. <laughs> like, yeah, she know. does have a business to she run. She does have a business. Um, but we will have links to her site and everything like that that we talked about. And as always, find us on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, share, and on Radio.com. Where you can find us and all the other Radio.com podcasts. Until next week. Bye.